Hello and welcome to Fireside Farmmaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad talking about everything Farmmaker. Welcome to Fireside Filemaker. My name is John Mark Osborne. And I'm Michael Rashad. And we have a special podcast for you today. We have special guests, Rick Coleman and Robert Holsey. And if you're not familiar with who these gentlemen are, we're going to ask them their first question is, what's your title and role at Claris International? And let's start with you, Rick. So uh, thanks, John Mark. And uh, thank you, Michael. My um, title is Director of Product Management. And my role is um, to uh, manage the at least part of the product management team on the FileMaker side, as well as help develop uh, the, the roadmap and strategy for our future. And you, Robert? Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, so my role here, I'm a senior product manager. I focus on the clients in the development environment. So I, I work primarily with FileMaker Pro uh, as the developer and the consumer, as well as FileMaker Go and WebDirect. Awesome. And why don't you guys tell us a little bit about your career and how you came to work at FileMaker slash Claris. I'm not really sure you're working with FileMaker, but now it's, if everybody doesn't know, it's now Claris International. And let's start with you, Robert, since Rick went first last time. Tell us a little bit about your career and how you came to work at Claris. Sure. Uh, so basically right out of high school, um, I started a position with our frontline support with FileMaker. So picking up the phone calls uh, as people were struggling with the product. I worked uh, at frontline for, I think, like six to eight months. I then moved to a tier two role. Uh, I don't remember exactly how long, but within a couple of years, I actually then made the move out to California. I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, I worked as a tier three agent there for, I want to say, six or seven years. And in that role, I really you know, tried to become the voice of the customer as much as I could. Uh, I was working with folks uh, sort of at all ends of the spectrum. And so I felt like I had pretty decent insights on where people were struggling, what types of problems they were trying to um to overcome. Uh, I think that's uh, in those meetings is where Rick, uh, Rick and I started working together when there was an opportunity on the FileMaker Go side uh, to be a product manager. I figured what better way to be an even louder voice for the customer. Uh, so I started there and then I've slowly uh, been taking over more of the client space um, to where I am today, which is owning uh, all three products. Awesome. Uh, and you, Rick, can you start as far back as I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, you started out as a FileMaker developer, or am I even gone farther back? Yeah, so actually back in the, the mid to late 90s, up until um, uh, August of 2000, I was the lead webmaster at the Santa Clara County of Education, and I spent uh, several years web-enabling FileMaker databases um, using Lasso, if anyone remembers that. And uh, then eventually got hired on at uh, FileMaker in August of 2000. My very first day at work before I ever had a cube at FileMaker was at DevCon in uh, Palm Desert. So that was a, a good start. Uh, and uh, for the first five years at FileMaker, and I've been there 19 years now, I was the um, technical liaison for developer relations. So essentially the communication conduit between the company and our third-party developers and from the developers back to the company. Uh, and then about five years in, I became a product manager. My first product was FileMaker Pro 8.5 with the web viewer uh, saw the light of day. 
Uh, and uh, then just various roles, manager and director. I've been the product manager for, for Pro, Pro Advance, Go, Server, uh, and pretty much uh, all of them except the cloud. So let me, I just have to ask a question. Which one of the two of you works harder? <laughs> Definitely Robert. That must mean you're the boss, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rick, were you around, uh, I think you must have been, when FileMaker 7 came out with the big transition to the relationship graph? Yes, I was. Did it come as as big a surprise to you as it did to all of us developers who then spent the next six months trying to get into grips with it? Well, um, of course, I knew uh, quite a bit in advance what was going on. Uh, actually, when I started at the company uh, back in 2000, uh, we were already working on it. Uh, and it was a lot of work. Uh, and um, But I contend, had we not done what we did in FileMaker 7, uh, we would not be here today because it really breathed uh, some, um, some life into the product, uh, breaking through a lot of the limitations uh, that we had on file size and having to have one uh, uh, file for each table and, and so on. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, a pretty big undertaking. It was certainly, and I would totally agree with you that it made a huge difference. I think it was just, it was so alien to all of us who'd been developing for you know, for as long as John and I had to see that and just understand it and get to grips with it. Because I I still think we've, I mean, even after all these years, we still find ourselves occasionally out of context and go, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, we didn't, we didn't have the word context uh, before that, did we? <laughs> no. Right, exactly. <laughs> I had a I had a little story to relate. I I remember back uh, when FileMaker before FileMaker Seven came out, I was teaching uh, FileMaker employees how to use FileMaker. A lot of them were salespeople and inside salespeople. But one of the people came across my class was one of the developers. I don't remember his name, but after class, when everybody was gone, he got on the whiteboard and he said, "Does this make sense?" And he was drawing how the new relationship graph would work. And I, and you know, and, and I didn't really realize what he was doing right then. I didn't understand. And I, I must say when, when people first saw FileMaker 7, right out of the box, it was so different, uh, such a paradigm shift from FileMaker 6 that just like, you know, Michael saying, it was a little confusing, but I think also Rick is right. It, it changed the way things work and we wouldn't be here today <laughs> if they hadn't done that. I think that the, the power that the relationship graph opened up for us was pretty pretty drastic uh, and it kills me to this day and in, in you know us internally even the engineers we look at uh what you all in the community have been able to do with that tool set and it absolutely blows us away um you know the the everything being in one file obviously was a big step forward um although there's plenty of people in the community that would argue a data separation model is is the better way to go but i think just from a core empowerment that relationship graph is huge we actually did a, a podcast of one of the first podcasts that we did was on the data separation model and we gave it a lot of uh, discussion and neither John nor I are remotely fans of the process. And we had a, a an email from one of the listeners who said, I've been thinking I need to use the data separation model for a long time and now decided I'm fine ignoring it. Yeah, I'll go a little bit farther. I would say, you know, there's a lot of people who are involved in this decision, but if you change it to a separation model, I think that would be a big mistake. It will take the ease of use out of FileMaker. 
Yeah, definitely. Did um, did Anchor Boy or Anchor Buoy, as you pronounce it over here, come as a big surprise in terms of the way that people were managing the relationship graph? I mean, I, re I remember that, and I think it wasn't something that we initially um, anticipated, um, but uh, it made a lot of a lot of sense, uh, and um, I think that. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just a way of helping people to, you know, make some sense out of what, what they're seeing and a way to organize it. And um, I don't know, Robert, what's your what's your um, opinion on uh, Anchor Buoy? Uh, I, like I said, you know, it, it was a surprise, not in the sense of, oh, we're shocked. It's very typical for us, just as an aside, to um, put some new capability or feature in the product. And then come to a DevCon, you know, you know, after it's been out in the market and be completely blown away with what the developer community is actually doing uh, with that feature uh, because we built it for one purpose. But of course, you know, the combination of what you can do in FileMaker is quite profound. And a lot of times we're just blown away with what people are able to do uh, with the, some of the basic, uh, you know, functionality that we give them. Yeah, the only thing I would add is... What that says to me is there's more of a room for us to improve. Uh, you know, a big reason for going anchor buoys, as Rick said, you know, so you can better organize things and better understand context, which is fantastic. It's great that the community has sort of come together and have, and have found a path forward. Uh, but I look at that as an opportunity for us to uh, sort of standardize, make it so that that's not something that the community has to learn. You know, it's one of the barriers of entry as we bring in new developers and they're trying to get their mind around how to build complex systems. If they have to go off and, and start evaluating all these different approaches, that's going to slow them down. So I'm not saying there's not a place for it, uh, but I think there is lessons that we can learn uh, as we continue to evolve the product. Yeah, I think as a developer who's been doing this since 1987, I've always tried, felt that I want to push the envelope with whatever features you guys come up with and take it and see how far we can actually go with it. And I think this is one of the the amazing things about FileMaker is it, it allows us to do that in ways that are completely and utterly unexpected. I'd like to emphasize something Robert said, which is Anchor Buoy is giving Claris an opportunity to improve FileMaker. And I think we need to emphasize that they've been doing this a lot over the years. And I'll take one example, which is a big example, which is decluttering managed database. There are so many features that were introduced in the last five or so versions that were designed to eliminate fields, to eliminate table occurrences, relationships, we can take portal filtering as an example, hide objects, execute SQL, the list goes on and on. There's probably at least 10 items. And so when I think when Robert says something like that, this is an opportunity, it's something you want to focus in on and know that, that this product development team is really listening to what the you know, has their, their, the pulse of the market in their hand. They know what's going on. You heard when they said that they, you know, where they came from in their careers is both of them have development or technical backgrounds with the actual product. And it's very important that these two guys have a big role in where FileMaker is going. Absolutely. 
Yeah, to build off that, um, you know, I, I joke with the team internally, you know, that I want to knock out, you know, all the FileMaker pet tricks that have been built up over the years. I want to get rid of those. And I, I don't actually mean that literally. As I said, you know, there's there's definitely a place for that. But I think when you see those kinds of things, it's calling out, it, it's showing that there's a need. Um, and oftentimes, you know, working with our engineering team, we can come up with better ways to achieve those needs. Uh, but it also kind of speaks to our overall, you know, bringing power to everyone, bringing those things that, you know, John, you've you've been in the community for so long, you've uh, been a developer for so long, you've learned these these uh, amazing skills. We want to be able to capture that and bring that down to someone that has just picked up FileMaker for the first time. And so that's where you know we see our challenges and our opportunities that that really excite us. So Robert, I hear you say then that you don't like pets. Uh, that that is not true, and and my fiance would be very upset if it were. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I got that too, Rick. So I'm going to ask a question. I think a lot of people are interested because they've never been through this process, and we don't need a, exact details. But what I'm hoping to see or get an explanation from one of you gentlemen is what's the process that you guys go through from beginning to end? I mean, we're at a one year release cycle essentially on FileMaker versions. If you look at the past, I think five versions, how does it start? How do you decide what features go in there and, and where does it go through and how do you guys decide which features are going to make it and which ones aren't? Wow. Is that a big question? Uh, John, Mark, I probably started out and then let Robert go into more of the details, but it's um, it, it's harder now than it used to be. Um, when I was a product manager, there was such a long list of things that we had not done yet, like script triggers or charting, that people even stopped asking for them. So it was really easy to um, you know to sort of start picking off those. Um, but in the last several years, we've we've gone through a lot of work of looking out um, what's going on, trying to look into the future and see some of the larger trends in technology and take a trajectory strategically to build a roadmap um, to make sure that we're staying relevant um, and, and can continue to, to deliver a great product. So we sort of start out at that highest level and work our way into, so therefore, what do we do in the next um, release? And typically, at a yearly planning cycle, we're trying to determine some of this stuff, you know, uh, 18 months before it's going to ship. And so it's, it's, it's a bit tough to, um, you know, to get that exactly right. And I'll uh, hand it off to Robert for add some more color commentary in, into the mix about, you know, how we get from, um, you know, determining in any given release uh, what's, what's going to be there. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo what Rick said. It's definitely gotten uh, more difficult, even just since I've become a product manager. The, the market, the industry around us is moving at just a blistering speed. So, you know, the days of, you know, finding 30 <clears throat> new features to put on the back of a box and, you know, to convince someone to upgrade are just so far behind, not just us, but again, the industry as a whole. And so it's looking at trying to really predict the future of where, you know, what types of problems or businesses going to be faced with uh, that, you know, that just aren't there yet. And what are the things that we're going to need to have in place? Uh, I hear a lot, you know, I talk to customers about, well, why didn't you do this feature? Why didn't you do that feature? Uh, someone asked me last year at DevCon, I think at the Fireside chat about, well, why don't you just, you know, look at the community posts and sort by uh, the most likes and that just become your, your feature set. Um, and, and while we do look at that, I mean, every one of those uh, feature requests, whether it's through the 
uh, through the product, which goes directly to Rick, or the ones that come through the community that I look at every day. Those are definitely great sources of information. Um, but I think if we did go down that path of just saying, oh, well, um, to, since we were talking about the relationships earlier, you know, there's a lot of requests around managing relationships, searching and sorting and, and different ways of uh, getting at, at organization there. And yeah, we could go and spend engineering resources in solving those problems. Uh, but we look at it and say, okay, well, there's, a, I think, a higher level problem there that generally, and, and this goes back to what we were saying earlier about trying to remove some of that complexity. So if we were able to, as an example, completely separate your sort of base tables from uh, what we refer to as query relationships, so the cases where I want to see all projects that are past due, as an example, where you're currently creating an additional table occurrence to drive that you know, UI element. If we could get rid of all of that clutter, um, I believe that end up starts changing the types of problems that you want solved. And so the types of feature requests start changing. And so it's really difficult, uh, although a lot of fun, if I'm being honest on our side, is as we're talking to customers about uh, why they want a particular feature request, it's, it's that why, continuing to ask, why do you need it? What are you trying to accomplish? And when I, again, look at the Anchor Buoy as an example, I see that as almost a workaround to uh, the organizational and the, con and the contextual issues that you know you start running into as you get a larger and larger system to, to maintain. And so you know, as we dig into that why, it becomes clear that there's a, maybe a larger issue that we need to solve. And, and so that's when we're, especially in this stage, you know, as we're planning the next couple of years and, uh, and the releases that'll come alongside that, those are the kinds of things that we're thinking about. You know, the larger issues of you know we need we, we need to get developers into the system more quickly, showing you know taking that power that our top you know couple percent of our developer community currently has access to and bringing that down to everyone. And so, where where does that? What kinds of um, solutions are there for those problems? Uh, that's not to say that you know feature requests, uh, things like you know in, in uh, 18, the addition of the uh, file-based script steps is a great example of one that you know it's sort of been in our backlog for a long time. Uh, we had an opportunity where uh, it's sort of aligned up with sort of our longer-term visions. We had an engineer that was passionate about it, and so those things do fit in. And and you've probably heard Clay uh, at DevCon uh, if you've been there talk about how. Oftentimes, those sort of smaller little things uh, make such a huge impact as, again, you guys get your hands on it and take it in directions that we didn't even conceive of. So, yeah. I, I think uh, it's important to uh, bring up or emphasize something you said at the beginning of, of what I, I think people are listening to this podcast really want to hear is what you guys do and how you do it. Cause we have no idea. We're not in this, this, but the thing I think that I like to emphasize is, is that you guys do listen to customer requests. You can't always put everything in there. I used to be the guy when I worked at Claris technical support who went through all of the product requests, the feature requests. And uh, I would say, and so that was a long time ago. That was 20 years ago, but at that time, I would say at least 90 to 95% of it was just technical support. That's why tech support went through it first. And so not everything's going to make it in there as a feature for a variety of reasons. But from my perspective, one of them was just, it's just because, Hey, there's another feature that already does this. 
And I think you've got to understand that these guys also can see on a market also that, and I think this is the other thing that you said there, Robert, was that you're see you guys can see a lot more than we can. You're in, you've got, you're looking at the entire industry and seeing what trends are coming and that stuff that, that not necessarily people are giving product suggestions know as much about it, but they're just as valid and important things to, to be, uh, you know, to be considered for the next version. Yeah, I think those are good points, uh, John Mark. Uh, just so you know, um, since June of 2002, uh, way back when I was still a technical liaison, I participated in creating the new version of the feature request that you see in the help menu in FileMaker Pro Advance, or you can get to from our website. And every morning since that time, which is 17 years plus, it's been me reading those. And the reason I kept that when from when I was a tech liaison to uh, being a product manager and now the director of product management is the value of getting that direct feedback. I've got to tell you, there are over 26,100 feature requests in there now. Uh, and there's a few that stand out. Uh, like I think probably the biggest request we've ever gotten is for FileMaker Go on Android. Um, and uh, we get things for sync. Um, but the reality is the vast majority of those 26,000 requests are spread thinly throughout the entire product, right? And so it's really tough to go from there and say, therefore, we should do this. Um, so luckily, um, and you talked to about, you know, both Robert and I having, um, you know, some experience with the product uh, prior to the roles we're in. We also happen to be uh, product managers who have stuck around a long time, which isn't always necessarily the case for product managers. They can move on from gig to gig, company to company, but um, to have the long view so that you can stop looking at the next release and lift your head up and, and look at strategically what is the trajectory that we need to take the product to make sure that we're staying in step with the uh, where things are heading uh, is an advantage that takes a while um, to um, you know, to, 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 to get at. And, uh, you know, for myself, I've been the product manager or involved in every product since, um, as a product manager since eight, five. Uh, and I think, uh, Robert by far is the one behind me that has the most after that, maybe someone had three releases. And my contention is it makes a difference. The longer you do this, the more your your view uh, changes to go from tactical to strategic. Uh, and that's exactly why we asked you guys or asked Claris Corporation. Sorry, Claris, I'm going to do that. I still say script maker. That's why uh, we asked Claris, Claris International to interview you two guys because you have that perspective. You've been there so long and that is unusual. Usually people are hopping around to different companies and we like the fact that you guys have stuck around and we're hoping you stick around a lot longer. Yeah, and the real trick there is to never become content, never think that you've arrived. Uh, I can remember maybe a decade ago arriving at work in the parking lot in the morning and sort of having this sense of, you know, gosh, we won. You know, there's no more competition and then the very next thought is, where did everyone go? <laughs> uh, and, and so it was like a, you know, glee followed by, okay, where is everybody? Um, and I think the kiss of death is to say, hey, we've got it nailed. We are, we're paranoid. 
We're constantly looking at competition. We're trying to look around corners. I, I mean, I, I often like to say to, to my team that the greatest uh, job in the world is a product manager, but it's either the, the, the best job in the world or it's horrifying. And there's nothing in between, right? Because there's just so much that you have to determine. It's not a science. It's more of an art as far as trying to look in a field where it's, you know, it's like dog years, right? Is one year in technology is a long, long time. When you're trying to look out at 2025 and saying, what are we going to be? You know, you got to be a futurist. So for product managers, you know, we are odd ducks in that we do not work in the same company as the rest of the companies in. We're, we're, we live in the future. And then the next closest people that work with us are engineers who are working on features that are going to be sort of a year out. And the rest of the company works in the present, selling what, what's there. So it's, it's an interesting job. It's a unique job. Uh, it's sometimes hard to grasp product managers because our heads are in the future and not in, in the present as much. Uh, of course, we still spend quite a bit of time you know, doing, uh, making sure that we're addressing in-market issues and that sort of thing. But for the most part, we're, we're out there as futurists. I think that's very interesting. And one of the things that John Mark and I have discovered in the process of doing these podcasts is that we're very much both old school and we've been doing this for so long that we have learned all the ways that work really well in FileMaker. And what we've noticed is that there is a trend for the newer people who are coming into the, um, into the FileMaker world to use technologies that they were expert at in their previous incarnation and not ever really get into the depths of what FileMaker can do without using those technologies, and which is somewhat of a bit of a concern for both of us. What do you think? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I have a strong opinion on that, Robert May. Um, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think that I'm not sure we could ever recapture the journey that the uh, developers who were with us early on, if you think about that from, from Nutshell coming out of DOS from those four Wang engineers and being ported to um, the Mac back in 1985 um, to um, when it was a flat file and repeating fields was the technique du jour and then going relational and then cross-platform and then the relationship graph and then uh, adding on all of this extra functionality, external SQL data sources, and starting to come out of being a data island uh, to in introducing the REST API a few releases ago that opened us up to the rest of the world. That's a journey that we've all been on, who have been with this platform a long time. And coming at the end of that, I'm just not sure that you still have the same opportunity to discover sort of what at the very core is the essence of FileMaker. I mean, Robert, what are your thoughts on that? I'm, I'm very much a, you know, right tool for the right job. You know, so if someone's coming in with a skill set and it works well for them, I don't have a problem with that necessarily. I will say, though, that, it, again, it, repeating the same sort of theme, when people are doing that, I do question, is it because we didn't make it a you know, easy enough to discover? Is it too cumbersome? Are we not matching, um, you know, the right vocabulary so people aren't finding it because of those kinds of reasons? Um, and so, I, you know, without seeing specific examples, it's hard for me to say, but what I would want to do is dig in a little bit more and ask why are they going that route versus using FileMaker? But 
I think the days is sort of Rick was saying of, you know, it being FileMaker sort of in a bubble in an island. I think those are way behind us. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, you know, I think where FileMaker can be a place to bring data together or, or be an orchestrator, I think that's where we've got some some real opportunities to win. Uh, so, it, you know, right tool for the right job. And we'd want to know a little bit more about the exact examples um, without to give more detail. Well, uh, I can give you I can actually give you an example of that. I was working on a project in Colorado and I was asked to go in and fix a solution that another developer there had been doing and went in and he had come from the SQL world and he was using SQL over and over and over again. It was so disjointed and so inefficient. And I said to him, why are you doing this? Why aren't you just doing this with a relationship? Do you go to related record. And he goes, why? Huh? Huh? And it was like, oh, my God. He's just missing the entire point of what FileMaker is. And I'd argue exactly as, you know, I kind of theorized that that's a reflection of us not making it as, as approachable. You know, if he came in, he understood his, his skills. He saw a path forward. So I'm not surprised that that's the path he took. Uh, but that's, again, an opportunity for us to make some strides in making those kinds of things more discoverable, making those things more straightforward. Um, and if we're the, the, the concern with any product, you, know, you could have a product that cures cancer. If the, if the customer can't see that and can't get to that, it, it ultimately doesn't matter. And so while FileMaker is incredibly powerful um, and, and the depth is amazing, I think there's lots and lots of opportunity for us to help new developers tap into all of that power and flexibility. Yeah, that's a good, good point. Go ahead, John. Let, let's change gears here real quick and, and go back because uh, this great things to talk about, but we want to get to a lot of other good stuff too. So I want to ask both of you guys, what's your favorite feature in FileMaker that you fought for? <laughs> um, having been here the longest, I did think about that a bit. And uh, well, it's hard to say the favorite picture uh, or excuse me, uh, feature, I'll have to say that probably the first thing that comes to mind is I was a product manager that finally uh, delivered script triggers. And in fact, I lost it the first time and I swore I'd never do it again. And then after I thought about it, we went after the next time when we got those. Um, and so that was, I think, um, that was a, a pretty big enhancement. I was also the product manager that um, was involved in completely uh, reimagining um, the the design surface, if you will, of the product. We had been forever. Um, our objects in FileMaker were one pixel primitives, and I was working with Heather uh, Winkle at the time, and uh, that was you know that needed to be done in order to modernize. Uh, our our product, um, you know, it, and that was through a series of getting away from the 69 pixel um, horizontal status area to the, the more modern status toolbar that gave you more than eight characters to be able to see your layout name to involve to in uh, having in inspectors and then finally the design surface so that when someone new came to the platform, they wouldn't feel like you know, what is this Rolodex and what am I seeing, right? Um, but then uh, post that, I would say that, you know, one of the things that I, I am most uh, also um, proud of is being at the ground floor when we made the decision that uh, 
we were going to go to the cloud and we weren't going to create our own data centers and we were going to leverage Amazon. And we've been on that road for a number of years. Uh, so while not one, and it's hard to choose one of them, I would say um, between those three, that's a pretty good. How about you, Robert? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a tough question. Um, I wouldn't say that, you know, I had to fight for this. The, the team was, um, you know, there was lots of discussion and debate on exactly how to tackle it. But by far, the feature I'm most excited about and, and happiest to work on has been the XML representation, which hasn't even fully been, you know, our full vision isn't even out there yet. Um, but, you know, when we started working on that and you saw the first iterations of it in FileMaker 17 through the use of add-on tables, uh, I think that the XML, you know, building out that re representation of the file is going to open up so many different options for us. And it is part of, it's a big part of, it, it's sort of the, the roadway, you know, that we're paving for, as I was discussing earlier, taking those advanced tricks and those advanced capabilities that some of the top folks in the community can create and allowing them to turn those into add-on components that then brings it down so that anyone can leverage it. Uh, so XML by far is is the thing that I'm most excited about. That's interesting. What was um, something you guys fought for and just you couldn't get through and or got rejected? Hmm. So good question. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't. Go ahead. I I would. I don't love that framing because I don't think that at least in my experience since I've been here that it's been an issue of. PM fighting with engineering as an example about implementing a particular feature. You know, we come in at a level of here is a problem space and we have the engineers help us come to a conclusion. So it, it never feels like we're at odds. Um, now, there's lots of things that I would say as a team, you know, engineering design, you know, as an organization, we wanted to accomplish and the pieces didn't fit. You know, a great example of that, and you know, we, we sort of talked, started talking about it at DevCon this year is responsive layouts. Uh, and that wasn't a fight in that, you know, engineering disagreed. It was about how we accomplished it and some of the roadblocks that we ran into it. And that's something that, you know, me and the engineering team have been talking about for a number, number of years. Um, and I can't wait to get sort of that kind of thing out into the market. Um, it's just that the the uh, priorities and the technology and the, and, the, and the hurdles that we had just weren't aligned in a way that we could get it to market. A uh, very similar thing that I get questions about all the time is, um, actually, I'll give you two additional examples. One is in um, nested layouts or being able to have, uh, well, nested layouts, having like a layout that's your header uh, navigation that below it is another layout so that you don't have to recreate that header over and over again. That's one where PM and, and engineering agree we want to try to get, we want to try to solve that problem space. We're just trying to figure out what the right solution for it is. Um, and then the other one that I get almost daily is card window on WebDirect. Um, again, that was pure. That wasn't a them disagreeing or that we had to fight for it. It's, it just really comes down to priorities. And you know, we knew with all the investment we're doing with cloud that that was a, a, a bigger focus for us before bringing card window uh, to WebDirect. Uh, so I, again, I wouldn't position it as us having to fight necessarily, as just us as a team working together and trying to figure out where the pieces fit. Yeah, I think that's a very good answer, and uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I was just going to piggyback on that, that, you know, it also threw me because it sort of doesn't work that way here uh, or at Apple. Um, it's really a team sport, right? So it's it's like there's the way that we do this, there's not, unless you 
maybe don't know what you're doing, there's not an opportunity to, you know, to bring something forward that then gets rejected because we're at the sort of the center of the things that get brought forward. So there's plenty of things that will take longer than you would wish or have some technical um, limitations. A lot of times we will, um, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, behind closed doors, we're passionate about trying to figure out um, how to do stuff. I remember to this day when we were inventing the, the, the status um, toolbar, having a fight with engineering um, behind closed doors about should we or should we not have on the toolbar um, an icon that says reports. Uh, and product management thought, well, guess, you know, we really need to make it more apparent that you can create a report in FileMaker and engineering's pushback. And they ultimately won was that their concern was if they have that button, people want to understand the relationship between layouts and reports. And every time they have need a new report, they'll create new layouts, uh, and that we would, um, it would lead to trouble. Um, and they fought that, um, and they won, but I think that's fairly minor because we're just working together to, to make the best experience. That's great to hear because so many times in companies there's political posturing, I'll call it that. And, you know, somebody's got an axe to grind and they have an agenda that's different from everywhere, everybody else. And that's where it, where the thing tends to fall down. But uh, we, I actually thought this was what you, the answer you were going to give me. It was kind of a loaded question, but uh, I apologize for that. <laughs> No problem, but uh, I think uh, you make us realize we're lucky to work in a company that uh, that works this way. So I have a question for Robert based on something he said. He talked about responsive layouts, and I don't know what one is, and, and maybe a lot of viewers don't either. Oh, great question. Yeah, so when we talk about responsive layouts, actually, let's take a step back and think about when you're designing a FileMaker layout today. Okay, so you, we really don't have the concept of being able to split things up into columns such that uh, you could have, let's say, a left-hand navigation that's always 150 pixels, but then you have two additional columns that as you resize the window, they proportionally resize. Uh, so that makes designing layouts in FileMaker a little tricky. You're sort of working with one arm tied behind your back comparative to if you're doing web development where you can evenly distribute that uh, uh, as things resize. You can nest uh, divs to give you, um, you know, better control of as the user, whether they're on an iPad or an iPhone, as they move between devices, or as again, they resize the window, they get a uh, more tailored experience. Something that's very, uh, close to that and you'll hear it sort of talked interchangeably sometimes is reflow so for example let's say that i had that same example let's do three columns and i've got a left hand menu that's always going to be 150 pixels and then two content areas that are supposed to be evenly distributed that works really great up until a certain point you shrink the window too small or you open it up on an iphone or a, a other uh, mobile device and those three columns don't make a whole lot of sense the simplest thing to do is just stack those columns. Um, but again, if your first column is navigation, that probably doesn't make sense. And that's where you see oftentimes a website sort of changing things up and swapping from a dedicated area on the page to something like a hamburger menu. And so those are the kinds of experiences that we want to enable the developers to be able to, our developers to be able to create in the future. Um, that'll also 
you know, we talked earlier in the podcast about sort of decluttering, which is a big, big goal for me and the team. And when you look at, you know, from a layout standpoint, why there's so much clutter, a lot of that is because you're trying to create, you know, uh, layouts that are designed specifically for different form factors. And so while you may have one layout that's just to display your contact data in a detailed view, you end up actually having somewhere between three to 10, depending on how you want to dial in that experience per device. Uh, and so with responsive and reflow, that's going to considerably reduce the amount of uh, layouts you would have to create individually. And I want to ask, uh, is object anchoring kind of the baby brother of this feature, the first stab at it, um, or completely unrelated? No, it, it, I think it's a good way to think about it. Uh, we are still figuring out exactly, again, this is a sort of a tricky problem for us, uh, especially to get it to work across all of our clients, you know, iOS, Mac, Windows, web, uh, they all pose slightly different problems for us. But um, the anchoring is sort of the most simplest example of this. And then when you start combining, let's say we had some container object that you could put objects in and it would have padding and things would automatically fit automatically inside of it, uh, then you can start you know, anchoring those and you can start uh, nesting those potentially uh, to be able to create something much more complex. So think of it sort of as like a building block potentially. And uh, let's move on to the next question, which is, uh, and you might want to answer this in terms of departments rather than specific people, because we we already know from talking to you that you guys aren't the only ones who decide what features go into the next version of FileMaker. How does that kind of all play together? It's, I think it's more about just how does the, you know, the organism work uh, at Claris? Um, <clears throat> this is uh, it's a good question, John Mark. Um, so essentially, we have a long-term roadmap and a strategic direction at a very high level that the company, um, on, a, on a pretty regular basis, at least yearly, every time we do business planning, we, we take a look at. But you know, when we went from you know uh, being essentially disparate products that work together to becoming a platform to then instituting the workplace innovation platform category. Um, and we, you know, we, we also take a look at, you know, what's the company about and our strategic direction. And we have a roadmap that supports that strategy. Uh, and then as we, um, we plan individual releases, it is related to that strategy and that roadmap. And then we'll put together initially what we call a marketing um, requirements document that is the highest level of here's um, what we're going to propose for the next release. Here are the reasons why we're doing this. Here are the you know, market requirements, the customer requirements. Um, and then um, that goes in front of essentially um, the leadership of this company, which includes the the president, which of course is Brad Freitag now, the CEO, and all of the VPs, uh, essentially sets as a product council, uh, and that is presented to them, and they give feedback, uh, and then once that goes through, we move on uh, to the um, product requirements document that goes into more detail about the specific features and functionality we're going to add. 
once we get through, and that again goes to the execs. And then once we go through that, it goes on to engineering and they set up dates and times and resources. That's sort of a more classic um, waterfall approach that, that's used. And now we're moving more and more to agile, which has the same feeders in the sense of the strategy of the company and the roadmap, but rather than trying to front load 18 months worth of work um, with agile, you get exactly what it's much more agile things change and you have backlogs of things that are based on strategy that then you're, you're um, prioritizing and peeling off those more, most important things first. So we're sort of in flux right now where we're moving more, uh, more and more away. So rather than doing the, um, you know, the, the councils with the president and the VPs and, of course, other um, directors uh, and, you know, from engineering, all the different departments, um, we're moving to something which essentially is a more regular product strategic forum with those same people there, um, but in more bite-sized amounts, we can, uh, we can talk and and, and more agilely move uh, rather than, you know, hey, once a, a year, guys, you're going to get this giant thing dropped on you and you're going to have to determine if it's the right thing to do. Um, we're moving in that direction. Robert, I don't know if you want to add any color commentary to, to that. No, I, I think you summed it up perfectly. So when I was uh, developing, I forget how long ago, there used to be this thing called the kitchen. and you guys would invite a whole bunch of developers over to the wedge in Santa Clara, California, Northern California, and you'd sit down for two or three days and show us what you were doing in FileMaker. And we got to comment. And I remember it so well because I remember, I, I don't usually say a lot during those meetings, but one time uh, Chris Krim was up there. And, and if you remember him, he kind of jumped up and down as an excitable guy. I loved the guy. And he, he was showing off conditional formatting. And my and I, I don't think I ever said anything other than this at any of them because I was at at least two or three of them. I said, "Well, where's the calculation engine?" And he he kind of you know said, "Oh, we're not blah blah blah." I don't remember what he said, but he he basically told me they weren't going to do it. All you had was the 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 value option where you could choose and compare things. You did you couldn't put the cal and then it shipped. And guess what? The calculation engine was in there. I was like, "Wow, I made a difference." You know, I asked the right question, and and I thought it was such a great way for you guys to get feedback early on. Would you ever start that up again, or is there problems with it, or is it just this day is done, or? So, and I'll, I'll let Robert chime in as well. So um, one, yes, we've done those. They're um, extremely valuable. We've had two and three day kitchens. Um, and I always felt a bit bad because we have such loyal partners that people would come on their own dime from all over the country and sometimes out of country um, to, to participate in this. And obviously, you know, we, we get a lot out of it, but also you wouldn't participate if you didn't. Um, and we've gone more and more to more focused using GoToMeeting or WebEx and that sort of thing. Um, periodically, we'll do a, a physical one, but a lot less often. We also, because we have the ability to leverage um, you know, think this, this technology, um, you know, we will ad hoc do smaller groups focused on that all the time. And Robert's constantly doing those. This is Michael Rashad. This seems like a good time to break, but we've got lots more 
really interesting conversations with Rick Coleman and Robert Halsey. And we're going to release those as part two next week. In them, we're going to talk briefly about Claris Connect or Stamplay, Zapier, acquisitions as opposed to partnerships, FileMaker being a one-stop shop, Save as XML, Today and the Future, Responsive Layout, Apple's Influence, and many, many other subjects. We think you'll find it fascinating listening, so please tune in next week. And in the meantime, please let us know what you think of this podcast, whether you find it interesting, and if there are other things that we should cover and that you'd be interested in hearing about. This is Michael Rashad. See you next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Fireside FileMaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad. We'd love to hear what you think, so please email us at info at firesidefilemaker.com. That's info at firesidefilemaker.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.